made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar, and today we have a special announcement, breaking news if you don't watch TV or live under a rock. The Chiefs are Super Bowl champions! Woo! How about them Chiefs? The Chiefs win what could be, Reese, one of the best Super Bowl games in NFL history. It was an incredible game. We're going to break down this game. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, we're a Kansas City Chiefs pod here. And one of the great things that makes us stand out is not only do we talk about Kansas City Chiefs, but we also talk about craft beer. Reason I used to work in the craft beer industry. So you can go back and listen to all of our episodes. We actually have over 140 episodes now on Spotify. Reese will do the whole social media blurb right now. But just want to introduce ourselves if you're if you're coming on the podcast podcast and like boy I wonder what Kansas City Chiefs fans are talking about after this game I wonder how long they're going to talk about these refs lol not too long because you know what Patrick freaking Mahomes is the man and I'm oh man Reese let me let let me just read the Chiefs history for the past five years to set us up I just wanted to shout out and let people know who we are now let's start the podcast Chiefs or Chiefs. I just called you Chiefs, Reese. Chiefs, Reese. Reese, Reese Chiefs. That could be your new nickname, Kansas City Reese. Uh, Reese, before I t- ask you about how you, uh, what you did for the Super Bowl, the Chiefs in the Patrick Mahomes era, three Super Bowl appearances in five years, now two Super Bowl rings. We are two and one in the Super Bowl, and we all know the Super Bowl loss. We had that makeshift offensive line, and we're up against one of the greatest quarterbacks ever lived, Tom Brady, and he just spammed his boys. But that's another podcast for another day. You can actually go listen to our podcast recently. But Reese, two Super Bowl wins in five years incredible Reese how are you today how are you feeling and then after you say that let us know what did you do for the Super Bowl and when we won how are those emotions yeah I feel pretty good this morning uh you know last night I think my favorite thing to do in instances like this is I stayed up until I think 12 45 last night just flipping through you know like ESPN and Fox Sports and listen to post game shows and coverage and things like that because, you know, I, I think one thing that goes underappreciated is the fact that you know with these post game interviews, like yeah, you might get a soundbite or two, you know, like Kelsey's original fight for your right to party back in 2019, 2020, but a lot of this is going to be lost media, so it's kind of like you got to soak this stuff in because no one's going to care about you know specific news broadcast on the evening of you know February 12th or anything like that. So before that, I. uh I spent the Super Bowl with the rad Russian Alex Nikolenko and kicking it with some of his PT school buddies. Uh, we actually went to one of their apartments who were not far from the townhouse you and Logan used to live in down by UMKC. So we were like right, oh, yeah, really? you know, that, that crossroads. On Baltimore. Yeah, pretty close to Baltimore. We were we were at the crossroads of, it was like Paseo and uh, whatever that road is that runs between Rockhurst and UMKC where Go Chicken Go is, you know that? Oh, sure. Yeah, so uh-huh. we, we were there. Played some bags. Uh, Alex was was playing really well. I was not playing really well. Uh, but, you know, that's what friendships are built on is trust and respect and, you know, acceptance. Uh, yeah, but it was it was great. We had some had some good food. We watched the game on NFL stream on a Fox Sports and it was it was a good time. It was a good time. What about you? How'd you watch Super Bowl? 
Well, you know, I was kind of bummed. So I'm here in Louisville, and I was supposed to have everybody over from the cast. There's about 10 of them. And they had gone to this barbecue place, and they were raving about it. And I said, no, I, I have to make you some Kansas City barbecue. I was like, hey, everybody come up for the Super Bowl. We're going to have a great nice. time. Well, knock on wood, but I like I normally don't get sick. Like, I've gotten COVID, but since like since the COVID era, Reese, like, I've, I've never had a cold. Nice. And it's just been like a great time for me, especially when your livelihood is your, you know, your throat. Um, but like two days before the Super Bowl, I woke up and I had zero voice. Like I was like, hey, how's it going, everybody? So like I ran to urgent care and was just like, give me all the meds because I do have like PTSD from my last um, gig where I did have COVID and I couldn't go on. I couldn't do the show. And like, I was very traumatic. So now I'm like, anytime I feel anything, I'm just like, take me to the hospital now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, went to the doctor and they were just like, no, you're fine. Um, just got a ton of drainage. So you just got to stay in bed for a couple of days and let it recruit. So unfortunately I had to watch Super Bowl on my own, but actually, you know what, watching it on my own and watching it sober, um, I was really able to like get into the game. And of course I was very emotional, particularly when Nick Bolton had the, had the touchdown. But for the most part, I was like very cohesive watching, you know, watching the motion happen, watching, you know, the front line. And I was very invested in like what was happening in the game as opposed to like, the totality of the ooze and ahs yep. moment so that it was kind of fun watching it on my own i was sad because i you know i think one of the greatest kansas city moments that i have was with you reese when when the royals won the championship and like it was just us and like you know five or six people and we were at uh, um xx yeah. on on brookside by the way like i know we've told this story a ton of times but it's just a great story um that day on the on the in the world series uh x had dollar tank yeah, seven so. oh my gosh i almost <laughs> so reese and i just going back and forth on those dude, i almost seven. got him in so much trouble when i interview at boulevard but yeah you're like what's your favorite boulevard memory i'm like oh i think we had dollar ten dollar tank sevens watching the world series and they're like where was that and i'm like x and they're like all right good to know <laughs> x closes the next day yeah basically basically well hey speak, <laughs> speaking of super bowl and medication and singing and stuff i want to get one thing out here in the stratosphere that i think is going around way too much so I'm seeing some, you know, people complaining about that holding call at the end of the game. And I'm, well, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Oh, we're going right into it. All right. <laughs> but I think the all-time biggest knuckle-dragging mouth-breathing thing I am hearing right now just from, like, these, you know, cavemen takes is that Patrick did not injure his ankle and he's faking everything. They're like, wow. they're like oh, it's all part of the scripts. No, this, this is some, like, straight-up flat-earth bull crap right here you saw how he went down to the jacksonville game and how he literally couldn't run you saw him grimace from getting his ankle straight up rolled over on that garbaggio turf after that ankle tackle but they're like oh well in the second half you saw him scramble you saw him run it's like yeah i also saw him like obviously not running 110 percent and you know what as singers you can attest to this in do or die situations, if singers have a throat issue, they can get prescribed prednisone. And prednisone makes you sing just like an absolute superhuman. I mean, it's it's incredible, yep. but it's an, it's an incredibly high-risk, high-reward med, kind of like shooting yourself yep. up with that venom stuff Bane takes from Batman, because it can take a toll on your body and you really do risk hemorrhaging, which is why you only save it for like do or die. 
So if people don't think there's some sort of professional sports equivalency of that, like do or die level drug cocktail they shot in the Pat's ankle, I have no doubt in my mind they treated his ankle in the Super Bowl different than they treated it a few weeks ago when Jacksonville crushed it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you bring up a really good point and like not to get too off topic, but I'm thankful for my teacher who was very conservative when it came to like medication. And he like, even when I was sick, he was like, just pull out of the performance. He's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's not worth taking steroids. But yeah, if steroids make you feel like a hundred bucks, like you said, but you're still singing on swollen cords. Yeah. So like after that performance, when those steroids, um, when, when, when the steroids wear off, you are in worse shape than you were before the steroids because you were singing on those swollen cords. So yeah, I, I know the, the, the recovery process for Patrick Mahomes is going to be intense because he's probably, like you said, he's been on a, a ton of pain medications during, um, during the, um, sorry, what do I say? During the in-between time, right? Between the AFC championship, and between the Super Bowl. Um, fun fact though, he did not take any pain meds in that in that half. Really? Like during halftime, he actually took no pain medication. They just like triple wrapped his ankle. Of course, you can see it. Like it was like he was wearing another shoe. Oh yeah. Like that that ankle was so stiff. But at the same time, like you have to consider adrenaline as well. Like like when you are in the highest pressure, you know, moment of your entire life. I, I'm safe to say this may be one of the highest pressure moments of Patrick Mahomes' life. That adrenaline is going to be going and you're not going to feel the pain, right? Uh, it, uh, if you think about the AFC Championship game, the reason why you know Patrick Mahomes was feeling it in the fourth quarter and on the third quarter is because that adrenaline wears out. You know, mm-hmm. like like by the fourth quarter, you know you don't have the yips anymore. You you don't have all that energy that you had. You know, going against the Bengals. So I think that's something people aren't. Um, you know, aren't considering as well, but I don't want to give these like Damar Hamlin truthers, like these dudes on Twitter that are just saying like the most vile things about the NFL, the script people, right? Aaron Foster, right? Aaron Foster is making a joke. Everyone go back to that podcast, yeah, go back right. to the podcast and listen to the whole podcast. That whole thing was a joke. And now people are talking about the NFL script. It's, it's amazing. Reese, before we get into the game though, um, Tell us how people can find us on social media if they like what they hear. Now that they know that that we are not Demar Hamlin truthers and think that he's you know a robot, and people now know that we're legitimate, where can they find us on social media and possibly donate on Patreon? If you really like what you hear, ladies and gentlemen, you want to find out more, go to Instagram and check out Fountain City SM, where you can find memes and previews of this week's podcast, as well as links to things like our live streams. Armando and I are going to be having the rescheduled Super Bowl Supercast. Uh, We're going to do it next week. Time TBD. Keep an eye on that. Uh, But it's going to be a great time. We're going to wrap up the season. We're going to air all of our grievances from within the Fountain Fantasy family. Now, if you really like what you hear, I mean really like what you hear, and you want to donate one cup of coffee a month, go check out patreon.com backslash FCSM. <laughs> Wait, don't don't donate one cup of coffee a month, but, but donate $2, which is equivalent to one cup of coffee a month. I mean, you know. Uh, anyway, so get get access to... I can, I can just see like people like like paying it forward, like giving us their like Starbucks bonus points. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Starbucks bonus points. Yeah, that's just worth more yeah, than... Totally. That's like the Kohl's cash economy coffee right there but yeah it's uh you can get get some access to awesome things like speedy and angry our in-depth deep dive into the fast and furious franchise which as of this week and you may have seen it during the super bowl 
Fast 10 is coming out Jeez. to theaters very, very soon. Unbelievable. Which I see Jason Momoa's the bad guy in that one. Dude. That's, oh my god! That's pretty tight. And I saw uh, Charlize Theron's coming back. I haven't seen number nine yet, so you know it's gonna be exciting to see what happens with ten. But ten will be our first ever live post viewing in theaters. Speedy and angry. So if you want to get in on that, go to Patreon.com/backslash/fcsm. Armando, one more thing before we get into talking about the Super Bowl and all things that broke down. These are some good times in the Chiefs' kingdom, and subsequently, this is not a beer review, but I feel that it is worth cracking open one of my good beers. This is Boulevard's Good oh, Lovin' Coconut Pecan Imperial Stout with cocoa nibs, cinnamon, and vanilla. So, I don't have champagne. I'm not Patrick Mahomes' dad smoking the Joe Burrow or the Eagle Blunt, <laughs> but I am sipping on the Good Lovin' for the good times. Excellent. Cheers, Reese. Let me let me grab one of my beers too. The one I'm not going to review today. Absolutely. That's oh baby, look at this delicious bad boy. I'm talking. This is uh, some motor oil looking imperial stout with a delicious caramely head, charred just like delicious toffee. Oh yeah, this bad boy's gonna beautiful, gonna beautiful, stone. beautiful. What are you well, drinking? Well, Reese does that. Since I'm recovering from injury, I'm going to take it light today. Gonna, I have a couple lagers, one I'll review, one I'll drink right now. One is a, a Louisville, uh, Louisville Brewery. Let's see, what is it called? West Sixth Brewing, and I will be having their lager, which is called Good Beer. Dude, did they ever make Sip Patino? If they didn't, they absolutely missed out on it. <laughs> well, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things where it's like you love Pete Carroll, but you can't talk about Pete Carroll in Southern California yeah. where I feel like the it's Rick Pitino as well. Like that sounds like a great idea, but I don't think they can ever bring up Rick Pitino's <laughs> name again in Louisville. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Anyway, cheers, my friend. Do you want to hear something crazy? I know somebody that um, his, uh, he, he will remain nameless, but I know somebody's... Um, Someone's mother-in-law is cousins with the person that did the uh, the uh, tell-all book about Rick Pitino and the prostitutes. Man, see, I thought you were going to say I know someone whose mother-in-law is is the person that Rick Pitino banged Pitino. in a restaurant. <laughs> no, not quite. But but this person, well, actually, it may be the same person, right? Because the person that did the tell-all was the was the like ringleader of the prostitutes was it i didn't know that yeah yeah the person that did the book like it was like it was she was like first-hand source and she like detailed it man dude talk about some some dark stuff between that and i, I remember reading a big back when i think sports illustrated still meant something there was a big it was like a 20 page article on like the whole tiger woods thing and how it went down and like you know they talked to like some of those ihop waitresses he was like fooling around with it's, it's just sad man it's just real sad yeah oh if you have you seen the hbo max or the HBO documentary? Is that what you just said? Oh no, it was like a Sports Illustrated article. Dude, you should you should watch the HBO. They actually may have taken it out because Tiger Woods sued them. Really? Um, sued HBO for putting out a documentary about it. But it's like it's intense, man. Like some of the stuff that like how they found out that he was cheating uh, with this waitress from Perkins. Like mm -hmm. it's pretty messed up. No, yeah, it's, I'm sure it has some of the exact same stuff because I, I remember them talking about that. And yeah, I, 
one of the evidence Speaking about messed up, found. this beer is awful. Oh, no. It's a, it's called good <laughs> beer. How is it awful? <laughs> Sue him for dude, false this... advertising. Oh, I got to check that. Oh, no, dude. What? The date on this is 10-12-22. Oh, dog. That's a lager? Or for a, a lager. Oh, no, that's bad. That's bad. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's not like I'm not going to die bad, so I'll, I'll sip it. You're real, man. I can tell, uh, yeah, this, this good loving is aged to perfection on the other hand here. So I'm enjoying a nice, delicious, Excellent. chocolatey imperial stout. Well, while I, while I, um, forcefully swallow this, Reese, let's talk about some Chiefs. Oh, man. Let's talk about some Chiefs, my friend, because I was about to go in, right. a, in, a, in a completely so, different direction there. Um, yeah, I, I could have worded that a lot differently. Anyway, um, so normally Reese and I do, like, winners and losers for games, but because we just won the Super Bowl, we want to live in this moment, Reese and I are going to break down some of the key moments of this game, talk about, you know, the emotions that we had. I think one of the great things, like I said, we're Kansas City fans talking to Kansas City fans so one of the great things is I, I want to talk about how I felt you know during certain plays and how the Super Bowl makes me feel because like you know we get to experience this together what what a great time to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan you know I'm so thankful to be a, a fan and you know to be here during the Patrick Mahomes era what, what an awesome time but Reese let's start it out um, best national anthem since Whitney Houston is what I'm hearing dude I don't know how you felt about it. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that because I I know of Chris Stapleton. I couldn't name you one of his songs, but like listening to him sing, it wasn't a, you know, like by the 100% rhythm of the national anthem rendition, but it was a pretty, you know, to the book, just like soulful singing of the tune and that he was able to accompany himself on the guitar that way too. Yeah, I thought it was a very good national anthem. What did you think? I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, dude, go, go check... Sorry, go, go check it out. I think it's very good. Like he, Chris Stapleton kind of sounds like the singer of like Nathaniel Rateliff in the Night Sweats. Don't don't start watching it now, dude. It's like a two minute rendition. Hate it. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, I actually I actually just I like just missed it because I was coming from rehearsal. Um, but I just kept hearing about people saying it was one of the best national anthems like ever. So I just want to know your take. Yeah. But hey, if you liked it, cool. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's no Carl Lewis, you know, but who is? True. <laughs> Ripped. Dude. Yeah, Carl you know what's Lewis. up. Anyway, um, great. So, so Reese, we had the national anthem. We have Nick Sirianni, like, weeping. And we're like, uh-oh, here we go. It's going to be crazy. And you know what? Like, like the, the Eagles come out on that first drive, Reese, and they really march down the field, and we have no answer for them. Their offensive line looks as good as everybody says. Our, de our defense is not getting any pressure. When they do get pressure, Jalen Hurts like finds an open field he looks great with his legs um, and then of course they score a touchdown with their infamous QB sneak Reese how nervous were you on that first drive or what did that tell you about the Eagles at that point um, I, I honestly thought I told you more about the Chiefs at that point in that I liked the physicality we had because there was that hit that I think was like Snead or Bolton laid on Devonta Smith where he just like ragdolled him without even trying uh, yeah. So I like the physicality of our defense, but I thought the defense felt a little flat-footed and slow. Like they didn't come out with much energy. Everyone just kind of 
there have been times, especially with Steve Spagnuolo defenses, where they play their best when they're proactive instead of reactive. And I really felt like the defense kind of let the game come to them, be it the offensive line. Okay, we're going to meet the offensive line instead of taking it to them, you know. Oh, we're just going to meet the players when they come instead of, you know, swarming them and those kind of things. So I wasn't worried, especially since, you know, a, a team's first drive, especially like a, you know, a non-Andy Reid team's first drive, is probably their 10 to 12 best plays, and they've been practicing that for, I mean, weeks at that point. So I'm like, okay, let's see what they have after this drive and, like, how things are going, to be honest. Okay. I was, you know, I was I was a little scared because we had been talking, and I, I thought that both sides of the ball, defense and offense, that the Eagles were fool's gold. Like, from what we saw from Jalen Hurts against the 49ers and against the Giants, he wasn't slinging the ball. He wasn't even running the ball that much, right? So from those two games, I was like, eh, he's not going to be great. I was a little worried on that first drive, though. And, of course, I get more worried as we go through the game. But on that first drive, I was like, okay, he doesn't have the yips. Normally, inexperienced quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, they're going to overthrow, they're going to underthrow. He's already overthrowing throws um, in this playoffs because of the shoulder injury. So I was like, you know what? He's probably going to be doing this a lot, especially on the first drive. And he wasn't. Like, wasn't phased, was making great throws. To your point, as you said, like, these are the scripted plays. So maybe that's why he didn't have any yips or, like, not composure. But I, w- I will say I was very impressed by what I saw from Jalen Hurts on that first drive um then we had the second drive reese where patrick mahomes goes you're gonna do that fine we're gonna do the same thing patrick mahomes in the offense march right down the field with a kelsey touchdown wide open um single covered actually which was great they they had kelsey going into motion had him stacked up uh which normally he's not one-on-one and in island but because of that motion to that stack line they then put him on i forget who was i think it was bradbury that they had him on and like Kelsey just he looks so incredibly fast gets his touchdown then we're tied what'd you think Reese you know I actually thought it was a little bit more telling on how easy we made it look in a rebuttal because normally after you have to you know answer to someone's opening drive touchdown I was like man if we don't have an opening drive touchdown you know and then they get another opening drive touchdown suddenly it's 14-0 you're down two scores what are we gonna do but dude we made it look pretty easy and honestly, there weren't many points throughout the game where we didn't make it look pretty easy. So I think even just with how that first drive went, there was nothing really special or razzle-dazzle or anything crazy. Patrick was just going through the motions and picking them apart. So I was kind of thinking, all right, unless this D-line heats up over the span of the game, like I think this defense is absolutely fake. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had talked about this in the podcast the week before that this defense hasn't faced anybody other than a Dak Prescott and Aaron Rodgers that have been good. And those guys were scoring over 30 points on this defense. And we had said in the podcast, we're like, you know, that's probably what's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is a lot better than Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott put 33 points on the Seagulls defense. I don't think they have much in them. And this this game kind of proved it. We keep going, though. In the second quarter, Reese, this is where things get worrisome for me as a Chiefs fan. Hertz throws a bomb to AJ Brown for that touchdown. Now, what I saw was I was like, 
Hertz just threw it up. Like, like he, like he saw that AJ Brown was there, and, and AJ Brown is so good that he can spot the ball. It was nothing impressive that I saw from Hertz. It was more so that AJ was just like, "Fine, I can just grab this ball." And really bad defense from our guys. I mean, he was double covered and still made it look like gold. I know AJ Brown's very good, but really inexcusable touchdown and started to make me worry. No, I agree with you on that one. I, I don't want to discredit Jalen Hurts, but I, I, we've been saying it all season. Like Our defense is just, I mean, I would guess bottom five in the NFL in terms of jump balls like that because he didn't hit him in stride. He underthrew him and threw it to the left. So this is what's frustrating. So he threw it to the outside of Trent McDuffie, who in turn was on the outside of A.J. Brown. Plus, A.J. Brown had a dude already on him. It's like, that ball needs to be picked or at the very least defended it's like that was not a good throw and aj brown still came down with it so i was very frustrated very disappointed to see trent mcduffie he's usually a very good you know tracker of the football let that one get by him and i'm just thinking dude you know we talked about it with david last week i'm like the eagles are going to try and beat us with their running game with intermediate passes i'm like we can't afford to let them beat us with the deep ball especially Especially not on plays like that. Well, I think I, I think what's ironic about this play is that I think Hertz overthrew it so much that McDuffie did, did not expect the ball to be you know so far out. That's why he turned so early, mm-hmm. and then he was like, "Oh crap, that's not even close to where I thought this ball was going to be." And I think AJ Brown the same. AJ Brown just had better position that he was able to go and make that catch. So I think like to like Hertz's detri- or sorry, to Hertz's benefit was McDuffie's detriment, where like Hertz is like, eh, screw it. And then McDuffie's like, that's not even close to where that should have been. Um, which sucked. Which was uh, then I started to get worried. And I'm like, all right, well, if if Hertz does this two or three times, then we we definitely lose this game. So at this point, I'm not feeling good, Reese. And then a miracle happens. Hertz tries to run with the ball a couple a couple drives later, then bobbles it right before Nick Bolton's about to tackle him. Nick Bolton's so scary that Jalen Hurts goes, oh, and then at that point, Nick gets a lucky bounce, grabs it, goes in for the touchdown. Freaking amazing. Reese and I have been talking about Nick Bolton this entire year. One of my hot takes during the beginning of the season was Nick Bolton is going to be a pro bowler and he's going to be first team linebacker. And everyone's like, nah, didn't happen but you know what this dude's special and this dude made a play and probably this is probably the biggest play of the Super Bowl yeah I mean Nick Bolton's probably the best linebacker we've had since Derek Johnson I think that's pretty safe to say he's an incredibly smart guy we've been talking about it since he was drafted he has an intuition on where the play is going and subsequently is like a Patriot missile to the football now, I, di- I didn't catch this live until I rewatched the play a few times, but it's like the fact that he's the one that gets to Jalen Hurts first, hits him, yep. and then scoops and scores the ball. Albeit, George Karloftis was right there for one of his patented scoop and scores, too, so I was I was pretty stoked. But, I mean, that was definitely a play that felt like a turning point because even if they get on the field and make a 17-7, you know, that, that, that's not a good hole, especially after Butker had missed that field goal at that point, so you already feel like the momentum had swung. But they really could have put a vice grip on this game early on had they been able to go up 21-7 on the Chiefs. 
Ooh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely the play of the game. And like you said, I think I think Buffalo Mike texted and he was like, he was like, ah, oh, Nick Bowen got lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. But like you said, he was the one that was about to like level Jalen Hurts. And oh, yeah. Jalen Hurts just bobbles it because he's like, oh, crap, I'm about to I'm about to get wrecked. Uh, didn't get wrecked, but hey, touchdown, and that was huge, man. Oh, when I saw that, I made many expletives to myself by myself here in this flat uh, in a very euphoric way. It was it was unbelievable, Reese. And then we go from our highest of highs to our lowest of lows. To end the second quarter, Reese, uh, Mahomes gets tackled by Edwards and re-aggravates his high ankle sprain. Reese, how low did your heart drop from... The depths of the sea to zero. I mean, where where were you on heart drop? You saw in the group chat, I said, well, that's game. Because, I mean, that looked like it hurt worse than when he injured against Jacksonville. Because, I mean, I already know yeah. it's being held together with popsicle sticks and duct tape. So, I'm like, if he gets crushed again on an already hurt ankle. Dude, let, let me tell you, at least from my experience, like when I had my ACL injury and they were just trying to rehab instead of doing surgery, when like my knee gave out again, that hurt way more than I did when I tore it so I can't believe that Patrick was able to get back and rally in the second half the way he did uh because you know like you alluded to I, I think that first quarter I really do think the score should have been 10-7 and I think 10-7 would have been a more reflective to how that how that first quarter went kind of like a boxing match you know like 10-9 10-8 in the first quarter we were the better team Come second quarter, though, the Eagles started really settling into their game, you know, running the ball, Mm -hmm. playing keep away. We're going to go for it on every fourth down. And at that point, it really did feel like the game was kind of slipping away. So to have Pat get just destroyed the way he did on that play was very harrowing. But I have to say, and I texted this to a few people, I said, I have to, even if we don't win, hats off to the Chiefs because it would have been very easy to fold in that third quarter being down 10 at half and with Pat being rehobbled. But I said, at the very least, they made it a game, made it, I think it was like a one point game after three quarters. And I'm like, you know what? I'm very proud of the team for staying in this. Yeah, at, at that point, when he re aggravated his high ankle sprain, I felt like, like the. It, like things weren't going our way already, right? Yes, we had that Bolton touchdown, but other than that, it just I just felt like like the Eagles had this. So then when he reaggravated, I'm like, uh, this is this is the dagger. And like like you said, I wouldn't have been upset that we lost because we gave everything that we possibly could. And at that point I was like, well maybe this is gonna reignite in the defense. Maybe we can get another stop. But at the same time I'm just like man, like we really need Patrick Mahomes because he we need to score on every single drive in order to make this a game because at that point we were down 10 or yeah we're down 10 points going Mm -hmm. into the half um and lo and behold whatever happened in that locker room no pain meds but that super bowl halftime show was about 30 minutes long and juju smith schuster said our team came together he was like i'm sure rihanna was great he was like but you know what during that time we really rallied together and we knew something special was going to happen, which is incredible. Not to take away from Rihanna, though, Reese. What did you, you think about the halftime show? Yeah, okay, so I have to preface this by saying this. Obviously, it is impressive that what has to be, at the very least, a seven-month-along pregnant woman being suspended over a football field and being able to even like half-sync, half-lip-sync and do any kind of dancing is impressive. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. That being said... 
I think it was a very fine one note show that never really took off that if you knew at that time, which I think given how at least when they announced it, but it's like if you think you're going to be pregnant or like you are that pregnant, like I would have been like, okay, I'm going to offload some of the weight of this show onto having some special guests come out because as it was. Again, super cool and amazing that she was able to do what she was, but like a lot of the dancing Eve was just kind of like expressionless shuffling and kind of like bring it around town, you know, sort of hit movements, which is great. But with as many people as she's worked with over her career, it's like the fact that you could have been like Jay-Z, can you come out and like take the reins on Umbrella? Can we do that? You know, one of the songs I did with Eminem and bring him out. I just felt like the show really could have stood for really could have benefited from having one or two other people come out to make it go from a pretty fine, pretty decent show to being, oh, that was a great show. Rihanna's comeback. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I know there's a lot of people talking about, like, this was great on Rihanna because Rihanna, like, said, like, this is my show. I have all these hits. To to be fair, I forgot how many bangers she had. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, these are all just, like, billboard song number ones after number one after. I was like... Damn, and like she's been going since like Ponda Replay and like nineteen or like what was that two thousand? I was in middle two thousand three yeah. was, yeah. Like I was a kid during that. And I'm like, dang, she's been going for a while. She's been like twenty twenty some years, and she's still you know throwing out some bangers. But like you said, there is something to be said for like the Super Bowl halftime show being a spectacle, mm-hmm. and like you want it to be a spectacle. And I felt like she could do only so much during that time to make it a spectacle. Yeah. And like you said, it just would have been better if you had a Jay-Z, if you would have had just someone just to like, you know, for everyone. And, and it has nothing to do with her particularly. It's just everyone, right? Like Justin Timberlake had as another person. Bruno Mars, another person. Uh, last year's Super Bowl, I think, was one of the best performances I've ever seen. And that was like six people on stage, right? Yep. Dr. Dre and like all those people, which is amazing. So definitely not like an all-time great, but she sounded good. Um, she, I, I thought the choreography was great for like everybody else that was around her, and just just respect for Rihanna for having all those songs. That I, just, I forgot. I was like, man, these are these are all fire. Oh no, dude. Umbrella, Ella, Ella. Rihanna, Rihanna's a certified just like pop superstar. I mean, she was so huge in my high school and college years, especially you know, and she's worth a billion dollars now. She's a she's an incredible human being. Incredible. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Rihanna. But yeah, I guess I probably wouldn't say a top a top five show, but a very good show, very good show. Yeah. So while that was happening, like I said, Reese, the Chiefs were huddling in. They probably had an epic like speech from somebody while Patrick Mahomes is having like forty thousand inches of tape on his ankle. Comes out of the locker room and he looks ready to go. Man, he starts he starts warming up. He starts jogging. We don't see any limping, and I'm like, could this happen? Could this be the Patrick Mahomes comeback flu you flu part two Reese well I was excited to see us coming out of the second half and immediately handing off to Isaiah Pacheco who had himself a a quietly solid first half but the fact we didn't just abandon the run game when we were down 10 points I think is a sign of maturity for Andy which this game we'll get into this down the road I'm sure but this game really helped put a lot of his ghosts of coaching past to bed one of which being one-dimensional passing and or abandoning the run too soon because establishing that running game in that opening drive of the second half and getting a touchdown out of that, I think really made the Eagles feel like, ah, crap, they're not just going to roll over. We're going to have to earn this one. 
Yeah, I, I mean, shout out, shout out to Isaiah Pacheco, like you said, um, and a great pick by Brett Veach. I mean, for, for Isaiah Pacheco, like who who would have thought? Well, first, I'll preface it. We knew in training camp that this guy was going to be special, but mm-hmm. did we think that on the biggest stage, the Super Bowl against the best defense in the NFL, he was going to come in and shine, right? And and really, like you said, was the savior of making sure that Pat didn't have to throw all the time, but we had a balanced offense, which, which was something that we really needed with a hobbled Pat. I mean, we would have never thought that Isaiah Pacheco would, would make this stage at this particular time against the best, you know, rushing defense in the NFL. An incredible showing by Isaiah Pacheco. Love that dude and really helped in third quarter. Reese, let's get to the fourth quarter, which is the most memorable and which we will never forget in our entire lives for the rest of our lives. Reese, to start the fourth quarter, we have corn dog number one. Mm. That's right. You heard it. The play is called Corn Dog, which Andy Reid let us know today. It is when um, the, the wide receiver goes into motion so that the corners, they don't switch. Right. So a lot of uh, and shout out to EB for catching this on Saturday. Whenever uh, a wide receiver goes into motion on the other side, uh, the, the, the corner doesn't follow, but they just switch. So. Patrick Mahomes sets them up first. He does this like really crappy play. He throws it in the end zone. No one's there just to see what the corners are going to do when they go into motion. Then it happens. Then Kadarius Tony is the only person, right, that can go left and immediately go right. So he's like making a sprint. It looks like he's going to go 20 miles to the left, but then immediately jerks to the right, which then completely throws off the, the uh, cornerback. Tony goes into the touchdown. That's corn dog number one, Reese. What what did you feel about corn dog number one, Kadarius Tony? I'll tell you what's so funny about all this. So I think it was the morning of the Super Bowl. A tweet goes around from Adam Schefter revealing that the Eagles, <laughs> which in my opinion is kind of against the integrity of the game, have found a loophole in which they signed Vic Fangio, former Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, who was known to kind of stymie our offense to a convenient little two-week defensive coordinator contract before he officially signs with Miami a day before the Super Bowl. So there was all this talk of, oh, crap, he's going to be feeding him so much inside information. What's all this stuff that he's going to know? Yeah, ultimately didn't help him the fact that we scored 38 points on Vic Fangio. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, Doug Peterson... Vic Fangio's 0-6 against Patrick Mahomes. Yes, please, bring him back. Great defensive coordinator, but not good against the Chiefs. Now, meanwhile... Doug Peterson, who played the Eagles earlier on the year, in one phone call calls Andy Reid and says, yeah, they kind of over-pursue sometimes, so maybe try hitting them out in the flats when they're clear. And Andy says, okay, I'll tell the enemy. Bam. And there you go. The result is corn dog. We got more out of like one five-minute phone call with Doug Peterson than the Eagles were able to milk out of two weeks paying Vic Fangio. Did they get a refund on that? Is there a receipt by any chance? Scrubs. <laughs> well, I also wonder whether Fangio told them to switch corners as well, because if you have someone following, most of the time that corner isn't fast enough to like reach a, a wide receiver in motion. So I wonder if Fangio is just like, yeah, instead of instead of following someone, just have them switch their assignment, which was uh, ultimately their downfall. Reese, after corn dog number one, then we have Kadarius Tony again. This is the Kadarius Tony uh, fourth quarter on a four and t- fourth and two. Reese, by the way, the Eagles are the only team that I've ever been afraid of when 
they have a third and 11 and they run the ball. The only team ever that I've ever seen where I'm like, oh, shoot, it's third and 11. Like, can you believe it? Like, I will say hats off to the Eagles for never giving up on a fourth down. Other than this play, the first time that they punt the ball, the entire game is on a fourth and two. They easily could have could have converted because they were beating us on all these fourth downs. But but they decide to punt the ball. And what happens? What happens? This awful special teams that the Chiefs had the entire season steps the freaking up steps the freak up. Kadarius Tony catches the ball and has the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. Mm. Dude, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, in hindsight. It's like, oh, if only you could have run that in, run, run, run. It's like, no, the fact that we probably ate another, like, 90 seconds plus of clock to score that touchdown instead of him scoring off that punt return wound up being huge when it came down to clock management at the end of the game. But, no, two things here I want to touch down on just on this punt return, if I may. Number one. Please. Kadarius Tony. Let's talk about the obvious here. The fact we got three and a half years of a rookie first round, uh, rookie first round wide receiver from the Giants for essentially peanuts, uh, a, com- a compensatory six round pick and a conditional third. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I mean, that's that's not much. I think there will always be potential injury issues with Kadarius Tony. I think he's got he's going to be kind of one of those dudes, which is fine. If we get if we get ten games a year from Kadarius Tony, as long as he's in the playoffs, that's fine. But the fact that we're paying nothing for the dude and he has already, without a doubt, contributed in a major way to bringing us a Super Bowl, we could have given him a first round pick. And I think you could say that trade would be worth it. So hats off to Kadarius Tony, who I think is Dante Hall, but also a plus receiver to go along with it. He could be very dangerous. Super happy for Kadarius Tony. And also, super fast, the most fast cold snack take back ever. I was not super excited about getting Kadarius Tony. I'd heard he had a bit of attitude problems. Heard he was a you know super talented dude, but he could never stay on the field. Attitude problems, all that stuff. Quick cold snack take back sip. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I'm gonna say about that. I'm so sorry, Kadarius Tony. You are honestly one of my top five favorite players. Um yeah. second one that's gonna fly under the radar a little bit. It's been floating around. Uh, but on the Kadarius Tony punt return, there was incredible special teams play that set that up. In particular, our boy Marcus Kemp threw no fewer than three integral blocks throughout that play that set up and maintained the wall. This is the Marcus wow. Kemp we were talking about after the AFC title game podcast where I said yeah that's the wide receiver that torched the Bengals on third and 13 some other times career 24 tackles for receptions that's why Marcus Kemp has stuck around is he is an incredible special teams player with a lot of hustle and a lot of intelligence so shout out to the guy who's not going to be seen as much for that play that made it all possible Marcus Kemp well, I didn't even see that. Yeah, I mean, shout out. I mean, again, the things that happen in this game are just so opposite to what this Chiefs team was in like the middle of the year, right? Awful special teams. Um, 
not a great running team, right? And now we just establishing all those things and peaked at the right time. A beautiful thing to watch. Another beautiful thing to watch, Reese, was Corn Dog number two. Mm. The exact same play, but on the left side for Sky Moore. Sky Moore has his first career touchdown. It's in the Super Bowl and essentially the game winning Super Bowl touchdown. Well, I know the game winning field goal, but the last touchdown in the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Shout out to Sky Moore and shout out to Andy Reid for just spam spamming Corn Dog dude oh yeah Andy Reid spams that corn dog it was incredible coaching right there and I'm, I'm so happy that Sky Moore got his first career touchdown reception in the Super Bowl I mean we don't talk about it enough I know the dude's got like giant you know oven mitt hands which helps for a catch but do you know how, how easy it would be to overthink that because he knew he had a touchdown before Pat even threw that ball there was nobody within 10 yards of him so I would be thinking they'd be like, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. I'm sure the first thing he wants to do is just turn his head and walk right into the end zone. So hats off to him for not overthinking an easy pitch catch walk into the end zone. But dude, the fact we were able to spam that play twice and catch him twice, I think only further goes on to kind of dispel the myth of this all-time Eagles defense we kept. Oh my gosh, guys. People who were clamoring that defense coming to this game were overdoing it. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Christian Watson and George Pickens are in shambles tonight. Ha. Huh. I mean, yeah. But, but hey, spe- I mean, just speaking of which, just so I'm not like blowing smoke on my butt here, you're talking about how like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers blew his defense up. Let it not be forgotten that Jordan Love came in that Eagles game where they only lost by seven, and he went six for 913 and a touchdown, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we can definitely talk about that next week with our with our Packers contingent and see where, where that boy Love's going to end up with Christian Watson. Mm-hmm. And Reese, to end this, this segment of the podcast, then let's talk about the biggest play of the game that Twitter thinks. It's that holding call right before the game-winning field goal that Patrick, or that Patrick, that Harrison Butker makes the Harrison Butker redemption field goal. Although I'm going to say, you know, I'm, this is going to be my hottest take before you take this holding call. Um, Harrison Butker has to go. Really? <laughs> I'm sorry. The Super Bowl is done. We, you know, he makes the game-winning field goal. I don't care. I don't care. I think I think Harrison Butker has to go. We we've seen too much. I think we've we've seen so much. It's like it's like it's like that girlfriend that that you want to leave. And you're like, oh, but you know what? She makes me feel so happy. And like, but there's clear, clear red flags. And everyone's like, no, dude, it's time. I'm sorry, but I think it's time, Harrison Butker. Okay, so here's here's my counter argument. Because I thought the same thing, particularly after he missed the first kick. I want to give him a year to get it right. Because I do think this year was a combo of him messing his ankle up on the same field in week one and Tommy Townsend having some weird things with his hold even on there was another kick later on in the game I think on a PAT that even they're like perfect hold I'm like that wasn't a perfect hold dude he barely got that set in time so I think that's one thing that contributes to it second one being as much as Butker misses I can still only think of one must make kick that he's missed and that was at the end of the Bengals game regular season this year that would have tied it up that he, he biffed otherwise he's very good at shaking off an early miss and making the one that matters 13 seconds comes to mind this one comes to mind i i think there's too much plus side on butker for me to say he's just another kicker that 
I would like to have the guy that can snipe a 57-yarder relatively easily and give him another year to get it right. I well, without spending too much time because I was just trying to be hot takey, but because uh, I I really I really want you to get to the holding call. Um, I, I will say that I think this team is beyond that point where we need that 60-yard field goal where we need that 55. I think this Chiefs team did need that a couple of years ago, but I feel like our offense is just so established at this point that we can get away with a with a Matt Amendola or something like that because they make extra points, right? Like the fact that Butker wasn't making those and like we have already seen his his psyche slip right he was at a point where he wanted to retire um what's to say that he's overcome that right what's to say that he he misses another extra point next season and then has to go through this other existential crisis we just we just can't handle that anymore like i i can't handle that as a chiefs fan I so mean, i'm cool with letting him go or getting you know good value for him because yeah i'd be curious to see what his cap is because i know you say like why ride it out but i mean Mason Crosby for the Packers has had no fewer than like three of these kind of seasons. I feel like over the last ten years. Yeah, but Mason Crosby doesn't doesn't miss extra points. He doesn't, but he also misses like four field goals in a game just because you know he slept weird. That kind of thing. It's I don't know. We can ask this to Dave as well. Get his opinion on Harrison Butker because I I don't think it's time to put him out the pasture yet. I think there's still too much upside. But that's neither. Well, no. One last thing I'll say too. This is this comes from watching a lot of college football too. I there is this kind of like kicking shortage right now that I, I'll need to look at the stats, but I think empirically college football kicking is getting worse, and that's creating a kicking shortage at the NFL level as well. Huh. That especially when PATs these days, you know, aren't just you know five yard chip shots; they're straight up thirty yard field goals. Yeah, having a good kicker is not a premium, but you know, it's it's pretty important. I I didn't think we were gonna talk about Harrison Butker for like five minutes in this podcast. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> let's 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 talk about Reese's specialty. That's right. We used to call him the referee. Reese. Some of our some of our friends that are not Chiefs fans are saying, "Man, it's unfortunate that this game, the Super Bowl, was decided by the refs." Carl Sheffers. Reese, the floor is yours. Let's see that Carl Sheffers back tap. So I think the first thing that's really interesting is I think you had mentioned that somebody said they had essentially sat the referee and crew down before the game and said, you guys have a history with this team. Like, like there's empirical evidence that you throw a bunch of flags, go against your instincts and try and be better at this game because all the eyes are going to be on you. Right. I felt that was the case throughout the game. Uh, I, I, one of Carl Sheffer's trademarks is coincidentally always fl- finding like a flag on every third down, which wound up being the case on one third down in this game, which is what I appreciate. Go back and watch the Tampa Bay game in the Super Bowl. It was like any time the Chiefs made a stop, there was like a phantom, you know, illegal use of hands on like a cornerback who's 30 yards down the field sort of deal that wasn't even part of the play. And I really felt that contrary to Sheffer's normal habits, he really let this game play out which I appreciated. Now, that being said, we're going to get to this holding penalty eventually, but it's all about the journey to get there. You feeling me? Yep. Now, the Eagles' unstoppable rugby scrum for like third and ones, it's a really cool play. I do think the NFL is going to go back and 
make some rules against this because I do think it's ex exploiting a loophole in the rules because early on uh, there was that run on our first drive where like Pacheco kept churning his legs but he wasn't necessarily going forward and they blew the play dead but like right as they did he was able to plow forward for like another four yards and everyone was still playing meanwhile that rugby scrum is weird because there was one time we stopped it Jalen Hurts got stuffed but then because that scrum's like so nebulous and it's never like really truly dead, the play went on for like another two seconds and he was able to squirt forward for that extra half yard in the first down. Yep. You know, the, the other weird thing about that rugby scrum is the formation it sets up on. It's a little bit like rounder than a normal offensive line setup. You know, it's a little more of a kind of a concave dome as opposed to a straight across line. And you even right. saw it that whenever Chris Jones lined up at nose tackle, he was like a lot farther forward than he normally was. And in fact, got called for a offsides at one point for it, which is totally yeah, fair. He jumped. But much like a rugby scrum in which a referee tells players to lock a lot of times in this game, I just thought this was salty Niners fans and like other NFC teams coming into this game they're like oh dude they're always false starting on that it's such a loose snap they're always false starting on the right side now it's kind of like eh, i don't think that's the truth but watching this oh my gosh dude it was incredibly liberal watching the right guard and right tackle get off the line every time and i think that's what contributed to two of those encroachment penalties we had early on in the game well actually throughout the game yeah. to be honest so you know, but because Carl Sheffers was not calling third down penalties all the time, I'm like, you know what? Let him get away with some early jumps on some of those false starts. That's fine. I I think they're going to get the yard anyway. It's not that big of a deal. What do you think of my officiating review up to that juncture in the game? Yeah, I mean, look, you're being very fair to Carl Sheffers. Um, it was one of your biggest concerns. In fact, you thought that the Chiefs were going to lose by double digits because of Carl Sheffers. So for now, things are things are looking pretty good in the referee stratosphere. Now, there was that third down. I think it was on our second, maybe third drive where Juju was looking for a pass interference flag that even I think Burkhart and Olsen said yeah they got away with one there because he got pulled down and also like funny enough MVS got held or pass interfered on that play as well but again it was like you know what I'm not going to lose my mind you know if, if he's not going to call that and he's not going to call anything else kind of ticky tacky against us I'm like you know what that that's fine let that third down penalty go let it play out Fast forward, end of the game, third down, minute 50 left. Kansas City Chiefs trying to eat clock to put this game out of reach and give Jalen Hurts the ball back with as little time as possible. Bradbury on another stack formation. I don't know if it was exactly corn dog because of the route Juju ran. Bradbury holds Juju Smith-Schuster. Ball falls harmlessly in the end zone. Flag, not even a late flag, but a flag comes in defensive holding automatic first down all these people crying over this penalty i don't know what you want in the replay and i sent a still image to the group chat bradbury not only holds him he holds him in two separate occasions he yeah. grabs so, yeah once once on the beginning of the route and then once towards the end exactly pulls the jersey a good foot with his right hand and then when Juju cuts upfield, he's holding onto his back hip with a grip you can see with his left hand. After the game, Bradbury even said, 
yeah, I held him. I kind of hope they were just going to let that one go. It was a penalty. I held him. The number of people complaining about that at this juncture is honestly pathetic. And on ESPN, too. Shout out to East Coast Sports Programming Network. It, it's very pathetic. I'm gonna. I'm just going to say that. You know, it's like, do you hate that it's called at that point of the game? Yeah. The same way you hate that Joseph Osai got called for pushing Patrick Mahomes three yards out of bounds. You hate to see boneheaded penalties happen to those points of the games. But guess what? Don't commit boneheaded penalties that are obvious that point in the game. What do you expect? That they're just going to be like, oh, it's a penalty. But, you know, I don't want to call a penalty on a third down. Guess what? It's your job to call a penalty on a third down when it's that blatantly obvious. And people are saying, well, the the pass was uncatchable. It went to nobody. It went to nobody because it was a back shoulder fade route, which is 100% timing. So Mahomes threw it to where Juju should have been, which he could have been because he was held twice. Yeah, I think I, I think what people are forgetting as well is that the angle that Fox shows in the beginning does it's a really bad angle, and that's the angle that everybody is is talking about, right? Like that's the one that Buffalo Mike, you know, he didn't watch the end of the game, but he watched it this morning. That's the one he's watching. That's when everyone's watching. But apparently, the one at the stadium shows clearly, right? I think that one had a side camera as opposed to a back camera. They had the side camera that shows it, and you don't hear anyone like banter during that call no one's going oh that's you know that's bs why did you call that you don't hear any of that because they had a really good angle at the stadium where on tv and fox they just show that one angle but once people go on twitter you start seeing that second angle the the uh the uh, screenshot that you showed right shows him not only once but he's holding twice during that play yeah i mean just incredible uh another thing nick nick sirianni brings up at the end of the game too he's like look that that penalty did not determine the game he's like there's so many different things that happened in that game that we lost that game legitimately so there's you know these are people on the eagles side you know class you know show um hats off to the eagles for showing class but also for being you know uh fair about this and saying yep we did it if this were the Bengals, it'd be a different story but yeah uh you know this is the eagles and the eagles are like yep no we screwed up um and not only that you see it on the replay and you see it from two different players so so that happens sets up the field goal reese the chiefs win the super Super Bowl, I think I don't think it's the best game in Super Bowl history, but from what I've seen in my, you know, 30 years of living, probably top three. I would I would say it's a top three Super Bowl race. Man, you know what's so funny? I don't know if just I'm because and, and but the reason why is not because of any particular play, but just that both offenses were fantastic. Like like we saw incredible football and not not some David Tyree, you know, catch on the helmet that's you know, I'm never gonna forget this. But it was good football, like throughout the game. So and that that's why I think it's one of the best. You know what's so funny for me is that watching this game, I remember missing the forest for the trees or or something but I never watched this and thought wow this might be a top five Super Bowl I've ever seen and I think part of that might be because the Chiefs were dominating the Eagles so much in the second half that it didn't feel like it was a close game necessarily it just felt like you know the Chiefs were like alright let's start playing seriously and part of that is like I said Mahomes made everything look so easy throughout that game minus kind of that like drive and a half in the second quarter where the offense got kind of wonk but looking here at some second half stats just for Pat he was 13 for 14 that one incompletion being a throwaway pass you know just like eating a play 
126 total yards, four straight scoring drives, and 134 passer rating. I, I didn't feel like Mahomes was leading his valiant comeback and you know picking apart this incredible defense and how is he doing this? Partially because he made it look so easy, it felt like. He had some big plays like that run on third down. Don't get me wrong, super impressive. But the fact that like at the end of this game, I saw his box score, and it's just kind of like, wait, Mahomes was 21 for 27 for 182 yards? Like, how? It felt like he was just having his way with them whenever he wanted. Now, three passing touchdowns, very impressive. I felt that. But like on the flip side of things, too, with like Jalen Hurts, it's like Jalen Hurts was 27 for 38 for 304 yards and a touchdown. Watching this game, don't get and me wrong. two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, outstanding game by Jalen Hurts when it was all said and done. But I'm watching, I'm like, Jalen Hurts has 370 total yards. I don't, as a Chiefs fan with the Spagnola defense, there have been plenty of times when I've watched a quarterback, even in like winning efforts for us, where I've watched the opposing quarterback lighting us up. And I'm like, gosh dang, there's another third down. Why can't we get this dude? How is he making these passes? Why do we make everyone look like Johnny Unitas? I didn't get that with Jalen Hurts, but he put up the numbers he put up. So I, I think to me it was kind of, I don't know, a weird game where the offenses were good and the defenses were bad, but the offenses weren't so outstanding and the defenses weren't so terrible like in that Chiefs-Rams game that it didn't feel like a crazy all-time game? I mean, one of the reasons why I think this game was so great was because of how little I thought of Jalen Hurts before this game, right? I didn't think Jalen Hurts was going to have the game he had, even though, like you said, it didn't seem like he did 300, you know, plus yards on us. Like, he played very well. And even though you said we dominated in the fourth quarter, Hurts still threw that bomb in the fourth quarter to Devontae Smith to then set them up for that touchdown as well. Like he was still playing really well and like under pressure, he was playing well. He, he rarely made a mistake other than that Nick Bolton, you know, scared fumble. He played incredibly well. So I was very impressed by that Eagles offense, but it could be because I didn't really respect them to go into the game. Well, I, I don't know. I think it's worth talking about because, like, I mean, we've talked about it a million times. Like, Joe Burrow has been the biggest pain in our butt. And Joe Burrow will do all these stupid third down conversions and just, like, keep them in the games, you know, by, like, not playing poorly. And then he finishes with a box score of, like, Burrow was 21 for 33 for, you know, 205 yards and one touchdown. It's like, how was that his box score versus Jalen Hurts? <laughs> Who again? I, I, because he just dinks and dunks. Very true. But I mean, I can't really dispel Jalen Hurts' effort. But I wasn't watching anything, thinking like, "Wow, this is a really good quarterback." Also, also, Hurts probably had like I think he had four bombs total, maybe three. I mean, that probably makes up for a hundred, if not hundred and twenty yards, right? That's fair. So if, if you if you consider that, and also a lot of Dallas Goddard down the middle, you know, for like 20, 30 yards. You know, I think he he had more big plays than when we thought, right? Yeah. Like he had the he had the like three or four bombs, but then he also had some like three or four you know twenty yard gains to several people. You know, I think what it might be is that, and I am not calling Jalen Hurts a system quarterback. Let that be my disclaimer. But I think Nick Sirianni <laughs> and that team has built a system where his oh, skill totally. set is so well utilized and integrated. There's, there's no debate. 
and I, I'm not saying it's unorthodox, like it's a gimmicky system, because it's not. But it, he's not playing like traditional quarterback necessarily for all these designed runs, for all these you know crazy rugby scrums and things like that that they run. It's it, it's like a better version of what they should be running in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, to be honest. Oh, totally. But I also don't think Lamar has a good of an arm as like Jalen kind of proved yesterday. No, no. Jalen's a much better passer of the football, and he we can't say he doesn't have way better weapons to throw to than oh Lamar uh, Jackson. Absolutely, does. But, absolutely. But yeah, I think it's he's almost like Donovan McNabb, but like a better runner and a slightly lesser thrower. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the I think. Overall, Jalen Hurts was a lot better than both you and I th- thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Cold snack take back to end the first segment, by the way, for me. Uh, Jalen Hurts is real. Jalen Hurts is a baller. Jalen Hurts is going to be back in the Super Bowl at some point. Like this, this dude showed a lot of promise. I don't think, like, like you said, um, he's he's not a he's not a Justin Herbert. He's not a Patrick Mahomes. He's not someone that's going to improvise. But he's someone that like he if if you give him a game plan, he's going to follow it, and he's he, he's he's going to find his guys and i was i was very surprised even with the shoulder injury like he did not look like it, it, it was so different watching him in the super bowl than watching him on tape with 49ers and with the giants like yeah two different quarterbacks the way he threw the velocity of the ball the accuracy like it was all different he stepped up in the best moment and had his best uh, even, even nick sirianni said it he he had his best game of his life mm-hmm. against the chiefs yeah absolutely so just to make sure, because I know everyone's keeping receipts on this, I'm not calling him a game just manager. Sam. I'm not calling him a system quarterback, anything <laughs> like that. He's too talented to call him either of those things. System quarterbacks are quarterbacks that only work because of their system. And I generally, I would say system quarterbacks and game managers are like, do your role and don't screw it up. Jalen Hurts. Like Matt Ryan. Like Matt Ryan. Jalen Hurts is asked to do too much to be a system or game manager and too much is dependent on Jalen Hurts skill for him to be either of those things but I do think you can build a system that makes a you know semi untraditional quarterback like that work yep which I mean look at look at Kyler Murray look at Justin Fields all those you know dual threat quarterbacks they can throw they can run but they can't figure it out. And I think it's because they're playing in a terrible system. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, that 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 makes sense. And look, the Eagles have one of the best offensive lines. I'm not going to say all time, but like they they proved to us they're pretty freaking good. Oh, yeah. So when you have that when you have that offensive line, like of course, you have the luxury of waiting in the pocket or you have the luxury of rolling out and have a planned rollout or you have the luxury of, you know what? I'm just going to run the ball. Yeah. You know, he had he had so many options at his feet where Justin Fields does not have those options, right? Kyler Murray definitely did not have those options this last year. I watched all those games kind of uh, with HBO with uh, Hard Knocks and like, man, <laughs> that was an awful team. Um, but yeah, no, Jalen Hurts, he's real. You know, I, I'm not going to put him on like top three quarterback, but 
I think he's going to be back because of that NFC. Like, you know, NFC doesn't look good, still doesn't look good. Like, Jalen Jalen Hurts can easily come back. Um, all right, let's. Oh, unless you have something else to add, we should. Yeah, let's let's wrap up this first segment. The Chiefs were thirsty for a Super Bowl win. They got it, and I'm thirsty for a beer. Reese, let's do the beer review now, and then after the break, we'll do a brief winners of this Super Bowl game. The Chiefs are Super Bowl champions. It was a long game, so this is going to be a long pod. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen, and enjoy this win with us. It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the show where we talk about what's going on this week in craft beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week, we're forgoing the news segment because this is going to be a long podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Super Bowl winning podcast. There's a lot to talk about. So this week in craft beer, a lot of craft beer was made. A lot of craft beer was consumed. Did you know that some brewery somewhere made a Philadelphia Eagles beer and some brewery somewhere made a Kansas City Chiefs beer? Those beers were also consumed. Yeah, crazy, right? Uh, No, but I will say one thing. I thought the beer ads for the Super Bowl this year were incredibly tepid. Incredible. I mean, we kind of brought this up in the in the pod, but for the first beer commercial to be Heineken Zero is like a big tell all as to like what what the beer trends are in America, and not just like not in the craft beer world, but like the beer culture in general. I think is really changing, and it's changing in front of our eyes. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's fair. I thought the so the Coors Miller Blue Moon ad. As beer fans, we got it that, you know, Molson Coors or whoever it is, Miller Coors in America, owns all of those breweries. Right. But I think for the average beer fan, I think that was too navel-gazy. That went right over their head. Like, the average beer drinker doesn't know that Miller and Coors are owned by the same company, let alone that they own Blue Moon. Let alone, I wonder how many people were like, what's Blue Moon? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the whole beer at... It's crazy, like... Beer is like the stock market right now where like I feel like the beer had its all time high like during COVID. I feel like the craft beer industry was just like flourishing. And now we're we're seeing now that people are going back out, back out to parties and man, we're just not seeing it. And I think the Super Bowl was a microcosm of like all right, the Super Bowl ads were a microcosm as where like beer is headed. Well, and then like the Bud Light one where like that young millennial couple were awkward dancing to the whole oh yeah during the like the, they're like uh apple ad or whatever or like iphone you, you got seven million dollars and some of the greatest advertisers at your disposal to make a bud light ad and that's what you come up with i mean you should be ashamed yeah that was that was all that was all time bad especially with like burger king like like paving the way as to like what people find funny yeah. and then them do oh let's do we're having they, and they weren't even having the beer they just had the beer in their hand that was so dumb and like again i don't think it was okay we're make a really dumb ad that gets people mad we didn't make a good ad it's like no i think that was their idea that was their version of the mac 1984 thing that i'm sure they thought was like visionary or like this is on a different scope that people will see. It's like, no, it was just two millennials dancing the holding like holding music while holding onto a Bud Light. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why the ads were so bad. Like I know that, you know, TV's changing and all those other things, but like 
funny is still funny, right? Comedy is still comedy or like nuance is still nuance. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of commercials just didn't have it this year. And I don't know why. I think it was in our group chat. Someone sent that tweet that I actually thought had some legs to it, which is the concept that Super Bowl ads essentially used to be once a year memes, just in the way that like they grabbed the zeitgeist and would be talked about for 12 months. But right. in this day and age, with memes being so disposable, so easy access, and the turnover being, I mean, not even a meme doesn't last a day sometimes. You yeah. know, it's like Super Bowl ads. Okay, yeah, sure. Why are millennials killing Super Bowl ads? You can say that for this one, you know, because Instagram, Twitter, and all these other places we can get little nuggets of cultural zeitgeist are getting our attention, and we don't have to wait for once a year memes. Yeah, no, you said it well. Anyway, uh, I'm done pontificating here. Uh, I still got a bit of this good loving to go, but Armando hopefully has now grabbed a good beer to review. Armando, what you going to be reviewing for us today? I'm going to preface this, Reese, because like, as I look at this beer, I think I just took some dirt off of it, too. Oh, gosh. What, what is it? <laughs> so... So I I'll, again, uh, let me do a, another preface too. So there, there's not a lot of liquor stores out here in Louisville. I also don't have a car, so I have to like go to the nearest liquor store. But I'm like straight in downtown. So there was one close by, and they had some single cans, and I was like, "This is gonna be great." There's some Louisville in here, but preface, I there is no there is no date on here. So we're about to we're, we're we are gambling right now. But I'm about to have Fall City's beer, or sorry, Fall City beer. Nope, I said that wrong too. Let's just keep all this in because it's funny. Falls City Beer is the brewery, and this is called the Louisville City Kolsch Style Ale. That's original. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being. I mean, mean, it looks like. Look at this. This looks like mystery beer. Like. Oh yeah. Old Milwaukee, but it's a Louisville beer, so I'm getting like here we go. grain belt vibes on that. You know. Yeah, look at this. I mean, it's old fashioned. Anyway. It has like the malt and hops and everything on the on the top fascinating huh anyway so ladies and gentlemen for those of you just joining us on this podcast we reviews our beers reviews our beers reviews we, our beers we review our beers a little bit differently on this podcast we have five categories including appearance aroma flavor mouthfeel and aftertaste and we give each category a rating from one to ten one being dog water and ten being oh my gosh this is great hop water so First is last. Armando's pouring that beer into a glass. Armando, tell us about the appearance of that beer. All right. So the appearance is actually kind of heavy. So this is a Kolsch. It should be pretty light. But, I mean, this is looking like dark, dark gold, at least on the top end. It gets a little translucent on the bottom, which is nice, but a little murky for my, um, for my liking. Normally, you want it to be as clear as you can and as clean as you can. But like I said on the top, it just it looks a little too muddy for me. Uh, great head retention, though. Um, I'm a little scared. How about a 6.5? Oof. I mean, that does look a little hazy for a Kolsch. Just a little dark. Yeah, I mean, Kolsch's are very similar to Pilsner's and you know all those other styles that should be pretty clean. It looks like could, a- It could be the glass, though. It could be this glass. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Then category number two is going to be aroma. What aroma is coming off that bad boy? Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) jeez. What is it? Dude, this... this 
this smells like you know when you go to the zoo yeah um and not not the zoo like in des moines you got that bar the zoo oh it was the yeah yeah like 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 the actual bar and for those of you that don't know there's this bar in indianola that's like this bar that we used to go to with the des moines metro opera and it's just like really small dive bar and when you walk in you can kind of smell the floorboards oh yeah and like you can smell like spilled beer yep oh no this is it dude. <laughs> oh gosh oh man i'm really i'm really hoping this is gonna it's gonna change my mind but this this smells like end end of the keg like two month old miller light dude it's like the draft or it's like the craft beer from always sunny in philadelphia where they just like keep the keg runoff from all their kegs and just like mix it together <laughs> oh god gross <laughs> like it's our special craft beer I mean, look, you, you can only have so many good things in your life. You got a Chiefs win, but I think I'm about to have a not so good beer. How about a four? Oh, my on aroma? gosh. And it only is a four because, like, you know, it, it's kind of nostalgic to have, you know, your dad's beer, old Milwaukee beer, but I think it's going to be one of those. I got, I know, I gotcha. I gotcha. Back when, you know, all the deep, dark things going on in the deep, dark bars stayed in the deep, dark bars. No one had a cell phone around to tweet or record about it. That's understandable. I mean, this is this is like a Kolsch that doesn't know Kolsch is back in style. Oh no! <laughs> oh, back when they you know. like Bierstadt. Who? Who's Bierstadt? But hey, check out our Kolsch. Oh woof. Okay, so is that a lower rating for aroma than the Candyland beer from Shiner? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think we did straight zeros across the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of zeros on that one. I mean, again, I, I'm holding on to hope. I might, I might do zeros like for the rest of this, but I'm, 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 ho- I'm holding on. And and remember, I'm very optimistic. Like I normally do tens, nines, eights. So like a four is probably a Reese negative one. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Then moment of truth, flavor. How oh does gosh. the zoo brew taste? <laughs> Pray to all the chiefs gods. Here we go. All right, don't keel over and die. He's going back for a second sip, so that's not bad. That's weird. Oh gosh, <laughs> Cole should okay, never be I'll described as it. weird. Now, now, I I just had like a four month old beer, right? Like right before this, that would just tasted awful. But this one actually has some flavor on it, which is interesting. But it doesn't taste like a Kolsch, really. Yeah. So one of the biggest features that just jumped out is that it's very sweet. Okay. Which is like not a feature of Kolsch, and I'm not talking like sour sweet, but I'm talking like like a sweet like a sweet Pilsner malt. Uh, and and I don't think that's a bad off flavor. I th- I just think it's it's like the Pilsner malt that they chose just happened to be this like really sweet yeast. Um, yeah, I don't know if I like it. That's okay. You don't have to like. <laughs> but it. like, I'll I'll definitely finish the beer because again, this is like I'll say it's better than like Miller Lite, Coors Light, which is which is what I would have had at a zoo or even at a bar around here. Like, fine, you know, if I'm chilling with friends, I'll have a Coors Light. I'm not gonna go like, ew, gross. I'm like, no, it's fine. I actually have some Coors Light in my fridge right now. Coors um, good. So it's something I'm going to finish, but definitely like no nuance. Again, this is, uh, I mean, this is like Kolsch not knowing that Kolsch is back in. Like uh, this is like your dad's Kolsch. Yeah. So I'm going to have another four on flavor. Oof. Yikes. Striking out here. Okay. No disrespect. Going to category number four, then is mouth feel. How does it feel in the mouth? 
I will, and also I'll preface this, if anyone from Louisville is listening, I did go to a brewery called, I don't remember what it's called actually, it starts with an A, and they had great beer. I was very impressed. Okay. Great. I, like, I think I'm just having a bad Louisville batch. I don't want people to think that it's only bourbon here. Like, there, there are a couple of good breweries out here. Um, anyway, mouthfeel. Um, mouthfeel on this, like it, it, it does feel like a Kolsch. I will say that it's very light. Uh, you do get a little bit of heaviness from that Pilsner malt. Like I said, uh, it's a little bit, uh, very weedy, like bread crummy, um, which kind of gives it some depth as well. But overall it does fit the mouthfeel style, which is nice. Uh, but again, the taste really kind of, you know, uh, turns me off to it. So, uh, 3.5. Okay, there we go. Lou City Cole style beer. Okay, three point five. Right on, right on, right on. Okay, is out of curiosity, is Louisville City their USL soccer team by any chance? I was gonna say it does look like they have the an emblem on there. Because for some reason, Here. like that makes more sense now. So it's probably yeah, it's probably like a cheap tie-in beer for the soccer stadium or something like that. Maybe, but there's no promotion on it. Hmm. Okay. Right. Oh. On. Nope. You're right. You are spot on, Reese. It says Louisville City FC on it. Oh, there you go. Louisville City, fine Kolsch, spelling Kolsch huh. with a C. Well, then it should be better, but... All right, so category number five, then, is aftertaste. <laughs> this one should be interesting. Uh, what kind of unique aromas do you get after drinking and exhaling on this guy? Still tastes like a dive bar floor bar. Oh, gosh. Sorry. A dive bar floorboard. Dude, my favorite part of singing at Central City was every year they ended their season with beer from the barroom floor. <laughs> I don't understand your joke. You don't remember face on the barroom floor? <laughs> yeah, but like, why yeah. beer? Cause, cause or are you just using that? You're saying this tastes like the beer from the barroom oh, floor Oh, I zoo. see now. Gosh. Reese's humor sometimes is just like too intelligent. I'm telling like, oh. I... I just can't, I can't get on there, but yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Man, whoa, what a, what a blast from the past. Uh, shout out Central City Opera. Uh, okay, so aftertaste, again, it tastes about the same, this weird sweet Pilsner malt that just can't escape me. I can't think of anything else. I mean, yeah, there's some bread, bread crumbs. Also the hop they use, I've never heard of. Tetnang. Tetnang? T-E-T-T-N-A-N-G. I don't think I've heard of that hop before. Never heard of it in my life, but apparently that is the only hop that is in this beer. Wow. That's, uh... And maybe that can account for like the Pilsner sweetness. Again, just very strange, but I don't think it's supposed to be nuanced. It's just like... Man, they really just threw this beer together. Uh, yeah, sorry, Fall City beer. Maybe you have a better beer than this. Send it. Send it to us. Send us some money on Patreon. We'll come buy your beer. But this is not good. Oh. I mean, this is a this is a three on aftertaste. Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, then Armando, the floor is now yours. Microphone in your hand. Stonks drinkability quotient. How does this beer make you feel? Go at it. You know, I, there's only been a few occasions in my life, Reese, where. Um, I've had a beer that tastes like the beer, uh, the bar floor, um, and normally I'll spit it out and kind of like take it back. But you know, this is an occasion where I need to drink a beer on the podcast. We need to have a good time. This is the Super Bowl win. Unfortunately, there's really no redeeming quality here. Kind of cool can art. Um, definitely better. I mean, I would much rather be drinking bourbon out here in Louisville by the way I've only been to one distillery and it's it was immaculate so like you know I will say the the distillery craze is real here um but man this beer sucks <laughs> there's nothing redeeming 
a one on stonk drinkability. Oh, well, dude, you might not be too far off because just like scrolling through untapped here for Fall City beers, I don't see anything above a four, and I would say a majority of what I'm seeing is below three five. And I, and I mean, three five is like a gentleman's rating for a beer in general. Like if you're below three five, it's like Coors Light has a three six. Does it really? No, I just made it up. I'm actually curious. Coors, yeah, Coors Light's a two four two. Okay, but that being said, any craft beer below a three five is like, ugh. yeah, you screwed up there, mate. Yeah, I won't be having any more Fall City beer while I'm here. But again, uh, maybe you got better beer. I don't know. Well, speaking about better, um, this beer review wasn't that fun. But uh, we'll be back and we're going to have some fun after this because we're going to break down some Chiefs wins. Um, when I say wins, like individual wins during the Super Bowl game because it was incredible. And let's keep celebrating, baby. Let's go Chiefs. But man, that beer sucked. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it makes for good comedy when the beer sucks. Okay, would you liken that to a blowout Super Bowl a la Seahawks Broncos? Or would you liken that to a snooze fest pathetic Super Bowl a la Patriots Rams? Oh. I'm talking Patriots Rams 2019. Well, blowout meaning that we were the Seahawks, right? Uh, no, just, just in general. So like when or you like watch the Super Bowl, the ones that stick out to me is like, when the Buccaneers plastered the Raiders in the early 2000s, when the Ravens plastered the Giants in the early 2000s, when the Seahawks plastered the Broncos, like it's such a blowout. It's never a game. It's just like, wow, this sucks. Oh, by the third I see quarter. what you mean. Oh, this was totally a Seahawks Broncos then. Okay. Ugh. Yikes. I'm sorry to yeah, hear that. Not great. Not great. But normally, ladies and gentlemen, we have some great beers. So stay with us for next week because I'm sure we'll have another one in the chamber. Uh, it's going to be great. All right, Reese, let's let's finish out this podcast with with, you know, what are some standouts from this game? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to start this one out and start the start the wheels going. Patrick freaking Mahomes. Reese, like you said, some people were saying that he didn't have a high ankle sprain. He's been making up this whole time. There's actually an argument to be made because he was so freaking amazing during the playoffs. How could he have a high ankle sprain, Reese? Seventy two percent. Pass is completed. Mm -hmm. 703 passing yards, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a high ankle sprain Super Bowl MVP. I mean, just incredible. For Mahomes, you know, total body of work. If, if Mahomes were to say, I'm done, I'm hanging it up, I'm going to that um, dark house with Aaron Rodgers, and uh -huh. then I'm going to retire with him. Patrick Mahomes is now a two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time NFL MVP, one-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year, five-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, uh, one-time second-team All-Pro, two-time NFL Passing Touchdowns Leader during a season, and then one NFL Passing Yards Leader for a season. Reese, that resume, unbelievable for a guy that's been playing for five years and 27 years old. We are seeing greatness. We've always seen greatness. It's an honor to just watch Patrick Mahomes, but for him to be the leader of our team, man, am I grateful. Man, am I grateful. Patrick Mahomes, amazing. And for him to come back 
after what looked like he re-aggravated that high ankle sprain to come back in that game and dominate, right? Not even be hobbled, but to dominate during that game. Unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. Patrick Mahomes, not only the MVP of this game, but MVP of the season and MVP of my life. No, I agree. Patrick Mahomes. I, I think th- it's difficult to say this Super Bowl and the 2019-2020 Super Bowl feel so different because the 1920 was so great because it broke the seal. It broke the curse. You know, it finally brought a Super Bowl back to Kansas City for the first time in 50 years. So that was a relief. It took the stress of having to win one off of Patrick Mahomes as well as Andy Reid and the franchise as a whole. But I would also say that year, I don't want to say it wasn't fun, but there was something about that team. And I think it had to do with coming off of the season before where it's just like, this is our year. And like, it just felt like this is our year. We're the best team. We're going to win. This is, it's not a coronation, but it's like, it, it's ours to lose. If we lose, we screwed it up. Um, but this Super Bowl was different because I, I don't think at any point in the year, I was ever like, oh, we're, we're definitively the best team. It's just a matter of like staying healthy and executing. It's like, no, there were times where I'm like, dude, I think the Bengals are the best team this year. Or there have been times where I said, I think the 49ers are the best team this year. We were in this pack of about five or six teams, I thought, that could win a Super Bowl. But, I mean, we really had to earn this one, is what I'm saying. Mahomes getting his ankle crushed. Mahomes losing Tyreek Hill at the beginning of the year. Mahomes losing all of his wide receivers in the AFC title game. We really had to earn this one, and it just hits differently for those regards. Yeah, no, I think I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, the teams that we lost to this year, I think like we legitimately lost those games other than the Colts game. But like the Bills beat us and we're like, damn, you know, three, you know, a best out of seven series. I don't know who wins a best out of seven series against the Bengals. I don't know who wins best out of seven series against the Eagles now. I don't know who wins, honestly. Like, like I think that I think that Eagles offense is so much better than our defense. It seems like, right? Like, still with the kind of the elephant in the room, Chris Jones. Where were you, Frank Clark? Where were you? I mean that that defensive line that that could have been one of the worst games that we've seen that defensive line play. So anyway, all all to say, you're right. Like the chiefs were never the definitive favorites. And I get why, you know, people weren't picking the Kansas city chiefs. My biggest gripe was that, you know, how could you pick the Eagles? How can so many people be picking the Eagles? It should be very, should, should be very fair. But at the same time, you're right. Like this, this chiefs team, it's a young, it's a young defense. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a good defense, but that's a young defense. Speaking of which, I, I want to stay on the Patrick Mahomes that we have more, but just to talk about this young defense really quickly, because uh, I just saw this three teams during the year uh, use their rookies the most. They, they ranked them as to like most used rookies. Texans are number one. Really? The bears are number two and the chiefs are number three. Wow. The Bears and the Texans have the number one and the number two pick in the NFL draft, and the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. I mean, that that's how crazy of a gamble it's been this year, Reese. And to your point, why the Kansas City Chiefs have not been the favorites to win or why, you know, it's been an uphill battle. 
Because we're playing so many young dudes. Like, yes, we have Patrick Mahomes, we have Travis Kelsey, but we got Jalen Watson, we got Joshua Williams, we got Trent McDuffie, we got Brian Cook, you know, we got we got Leo Chanel, all these guys. The you know, the most played rookies in the league, and the other two, like I just said, Texans and Bears. Putrid teams. Absolutely putrid. So again, great gamble by Brett Veach. Great gamble by Steve Spagnuolo, but all predicated on the majesty of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and I totally agree with you on the rookie side. That was really impressive. The the only rookies who really did make an impact this year was fifth round pick Darian Kennard, that offensive tackle from Kentucky, as well as I don't think Nazi Johnson really played much this year. At least like I didn't hear his name, but I don't even know who that is. He he was our final. He was after Pacheco. He, he was round seven, oh, really? two fifty nine. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't think I remember hearing his name called much, if at all. But I mean, other than that, you got at no fewer than eight dudes who were serious impact players their rookie year. Very big. Last thing I want to say about Patrick Mahomes, I think, uh, you know, the fact that he threw for 5,000 yards again this year and 17 games, I know. But OK, if he throw if we do a 16 game season. I think he's still right at 5,000 yards. He threw for 5,250 yards this year. 250 yards, yeah, it's about an average Patrick Mahomes game, 5,000 yards. I think it was a very impressive year for him, considering that he's getting used to his new wide receivers. I do think one thing at this point that, you know, it's the Super Bowl podcast. We're going to bang our chests here a little bit. I think this is fair to do. I heard this analogy. I want to bring it to you on the podcast, but I do think at this point, it's no longer like Brady Manning or Breeze, Breeze Manning, you know, Brady Breeze, like th- these great quarterbacks, like who's the best third generation, all that stuff. No, I think it's become more now like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan versus the field. There, there's not another S tier quarterback in the NFL right now. You, you have some A tier and high A tier dudes with like Justin Herbert, uh, Josh Allen, I guess you could say Jalen Hurts is up there now, Joe Burrow, you know, definitely. But th- there's a Tiger Woods and there's a Phil Mickelson. Is Phil Mickelson the second best golfer in the world? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Is Phil Mickelson's best in the stratosphere of Tiger Woods when he's clicking? Oh, not even close. Not even close. Two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time All-Pro Two-time, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, five FC, five ABC title games, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves. You get what I'm saying, dude. I'm just, In the beginning yeah. of the year, we talked about QB tiers, and I always did 1A, Patrick Mahomes, 1B, Josh Allen was what I was saying. But I think definitively now, again, Josh Allen's never been to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just let's just say that. Josh Allen's never been to a Super Bowl. He's been to one Patrick ABC title two, game. He's been a three and he's won two. And the one that he lost was a legitimate loss, right? They're like, like you, you replay that game a hundred times and the Chiefs lose a hundred times. Hold on. What if we replayed the game with like our healthy offensive line? Do you still feel that we lose yeah, that all the time? Maybe. Yeah, sure. No, no. I, I just mean like that team was so jumbled. That offensive oh, yeah. line was so jumbled, right? We had, we had Nick Allegretti playing, you know, in a, in the wrong position. We had Wiley playing in the wrong position, a young Andrew Wiley as well, right? We had Remmers like, Oh my God, it was just like just a hodgepodge of offensive line that 
I don't think that loss is so burdensome on the Patrick Mahomes legacy. No. I know people are always going to say, well, he never beat Brady in the playoffs. Look at those teams. Yeah. Like, look at look at what happened during those games. So I think, I think just going back to that point, because we can spend an hour on that topic alone, but going back to the Patrick Mahomes point, you're right. There's zero debate. No one, and, and skill-wise, people can debate and be like, well, you know, Josh Allen has this. Burrow has this, but definitively now, statistically, there is zero debate, zero debate that anybody can come close to Patrick Mahomes right now. It's Patrick Mahomes and the rest of the field, just like you said. There are two, depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers, there are only two starting quarterbacks in the league right now with Super Bowl rings. Man. Patrick Mahomes and and Russell Wilson. That's it. And Pat has two now, right? He has twice as much as the other person. We're entering a new era of football, but this era is owned currently by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. This is this is our time, man. This is great. And speaking of Aaron Rodgers, I mentioned that the first Super Bowl helped kind of like get the monkey off our back of like, you got to get a Super Bowl win. Okay, we got the Super Bowl win. But then after that, it was, okay, well, you remember Aaron Rodgers? Like Aaron Can he Rogers, get the second, right? Yeah. And so the fact that he has that second now, it's like, okay, cool. I think at this point, we're just kind of, I, I don't even think he needs to like chase the goat debate, not saying he's the goat by any stretch, but like, I, I think that's a luxury at this point. It's like, you're a multi Super Bowl winner. It's like, at this point, you're just, you're seeing how far you can ride this hand, man. Yeah. It's, it's also, <laughs> Oh boy, this is going to be something I'm going to open the can of worms. It's very funny because I feel like the Brady Mahomes debate is very similar to the Jordan LeBron debate. Where if you'd played them one on one, LeBron would destroy um, Michael Jordan. Ooh, you sure? Right? Yeah, I feel. I feel like. Le- I just feel like LeBron is just so athletic. He has a different body, like it's a different game, and he's a superhuman, right? Where I feel like it's the same with Pat and Tom, where like Tom has obviously incredible resume, won all the Super Bowls. We all know his story. But Patrick Mahomes is such a different quarterback and such a dominating quarterback in ways that Tom Brady could never imagine being dominant, right? Tom Brady cannot imagine being as dominant in scramble, um, in improvisation, in you know throwing off his left leg from his right stance or vice versa. Those are things that were unimaginable for a goat like Tom Brady, where I feel like it's the same conversation. The things that you know, LeBron James is doing at, you know, 20 years into his career, you know, um, Michael Jordan only played 15. I think LeBron James is still, still scoring 30 points a game. Unimaginable for a Michael Jordan. Well, so I, I like your analogy using basketball players. I would like to abridge that from comparing LeBron to MJ to, I think that comparing Mahomes to Brady is more like comparing Jordan to Bill Russell in the sense of you're comparing the greatest player of all time in Mahomes to the greatest winner of all time in Tom Brady. Because, yeah. because I, I mean, look, I know the guy won seven Super Bowls, but we got to be honest here. The first three were very Brock Purdy-esque, where it was just like the defense <laughs> one of those. No, I'm dead serious. The defense one of those Super Bowls. I, I know, but that that's an incredibly hot take. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's hot take and probably like a bit of a hyperbole. I'm not going to dig into the box scores here because that's not what this podcast is about. But like, it's pretty universally accepted that like, yeah, Brady didn't play poorly, but like those first three Super Bowls were won by the defenses, which were right. incredible units. Fair. 
And I don't think that's debatable. After that, he doesn't win a Super Bowl for 10 years. He loses to Eli People Man- forget that, dude. He loses to Eli Manning and the New York Giants in what was a stacked, perfect season team that should not have lost. And then he loses to Eli Manning and the Giants in there again. He should have lost in 2015 against the Seattle Seahawks. Like, let's not pretend he should have won that game. And then, yeah, if you want to give him the Atlanta Falcons game where they're down 34-28, I think it was 50-50 choke job, 50-50 Brady. Uh, but then after that, you have that turgid 13-3 game against the Los Angeles Rams where both the Patriots and the Rams should not have been in the Super Bowl that year. So I think Brady is an all-time winner. He's only won one Super Bowl without the help of a top 10 defense behind him, whereas Patrick Mahomes has had, I don't know if he's had a top 15 defense with either of his Super Bowl wins. So I think. Brady Mahomes is shaping up more to this is a different level of player and an evolution of the position in Mahomes versus a guy who stacked a lot of trophies, great winner, but he didn't revolutionize the game. He was just good at winning. No, that, that's actually a really good analogy. It's something I, I had not thought of. Yeah, I, I mean, it it would be an incredibly daunting task for Patrick Mahomes to have as many championships as Tom Brady because even though Patrick Mahomes, it is Patrick Mahomes versus the field, mm-hmm. like because of our defense, that field is incredible when you have a Josh Allen with a Bills defense, a Burrow with a pretty decent Bengals defense, a Jalen Hurts with the best defense in the NFL, you know, like, like there are so many different obstacles that I think Patrick Mahomes has to face in the entirety of his career that I don't think Tom Brady had to face, right? Peyton Manning, you're like, we, we didn't really see that, right? We saw Eli Manning before we saw Peyton. Um, just just things that things that I feel like Tom Brady didn't have to have to do. Now, I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's like the Bill Russell era because there were really good people in Tom Brady's era as opposed yeah. to Bill Russell's era. Mm-hmm. But like like you said, they're just different, different tasks at hand, um, far different tasks. Well, an in- interesting thing, too, that I think is worth thinking about is Okay, Armando, on the top of your head, I'm going to say three. Name me a signature Tom Brady play in any of those Super Bowls. One, two, three. Uh, one throw to like Gronk and I don't know. Well, exactly. <laughs> or it's like, like some Edelman. I'm sure there's some Edelman play I'm missing. I, I think maybe the most signature Tom Brady play in any of those Super Bowls is that bad pass he threw to Edelman that like hit a Falcons dude and Edelman like scooped it off the turf before it hit the ground like. I, I'm not thinking of Tom Brady scrambling for 35 yards on a bum ankle to will his team to victory, you know, the way Mahomes did. Or, I mean, at the very least, Brady doesn't have a jet chip wasp that, you know, keeps right. him in the game when they're on life support. So, or no corn dog. No corn dog. So, again, I think these are things we're taking into consideration when comparing Brady and Mahomes at this juncture. And who knows what it looks like down the road? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, we we should do another. We should actually do another goat debate during the during the off season. I think that'd be fun to do a a heads up matchup on that. But I mean, all to say to put a button on the Patrick Mahomes stuff. Like you're right, I don't think anybody can compare. I know that last year we were talking about. Oh well, you know, Josh Allen could still be better than Patrick Mahomes. Like there's there's zero debate now. There's zero debate, especially with what happened with Josh Allen this year. Yeah, I think I think Patrick Mahomes in a league of his own, and it's it's Super Bowl or bust from now on in his career. I think mm-hmm. as long as long as Andy Reid is there and Travis Kelsey is producing the way he is, it's Super Bowl or bust every single time. Okay, let's talk about one thing I want to bring up, and then you can bring up something else if you'd like. Uh, but we're kind of running a little a little late on this one. But hey, Super Bowl, we're having a good time. 
<laughs> this Eagles defense, Reese, I think is going to be something that we talk about for a really long time uh, because it's something that we brought up in the in our podcast last week where I said that Patrick Mahomes is the best against the blitz and pressure. And this is what this defense is predicated on. And bring it on. I said, bring the freaking blitz on. And no one else was listening to us. All the NFL analysts, the Fox analysts, the ESPN analysts are like, ah, the Eagles, this defense is unheard of. Well, Reese, let me let me read some stats for you and I'll let you go. Mahomes was pressured on 25.9% of his dropbacks. It's the first time the Eagles didn't get to over 35% of pressures since week 12, snapping an NFL record of eight straight games of getting 35% or more pressuring the quarterback. Then when the pressure didn't work, Reese, they had to adjust. We talked actually, I don't think we talked about this on the podcast, but I I was texting you this, that uh, the Eagles love to rush five. Right? They love to rush Hassan Riddick. But when they realized that it wasn't working, then that had to change everything. Right, Everything had to change for the Eagles. And that was, I think, their biggest downfall is they adjusted play, but it's something that they're not used to. They're not used to having that other guy to have that seventh man in coverage. They're used to rushing five featuring Hassan Reddick on the side. So I think that changed the entire game plan for the defense and really exposed them where like you can't adjust. This is uh, this is kind of what you were saying about Jalen Hurts is in a system and it works. That's their defense. They have to be in that system. And if it doesn't work, they get exposed. And boy, do they get exposed on this one. A couple more. Eagles blitz 33% of dropbacks. That was Philly's second highest blitz rate. And Pat was sacked zero times. So they brought the blitz. It didn't work. They tried to pressure. It didn't work. Then they tried to drop back because they couldn't pressure. It didn't work. I mean, this Eagles defense is fool's gold when it goes up against the man, Patrick Mahomes. Well, not just the man, Patrick Mahomes, but honestly, any quarterback with a pulse. The number of times I keep hearing people saying, like, you know, the only elite quarterbacks they played this year, you know, were Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Jared Goff. And I'm like, oh, uh, y'all really trying to sneak Jared Goff past us, calling him an elite quarterback. (laughs) No, any quarterback with a pulse. Shout out to the Lions, though. I like that Lions team. Yeah, no, a good Lions team. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, guys, let's be serious here. It's like Dak Prescott is maybe a top 10 quarterback. Jared Goff is not a top 10 quarterback. You know, even if he had decent statistics this year, it's like we know who Jared Goff is. Anytime this Eagles fought someone who wasn't Spider Rico, they got punched in the mouth. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're being if we're being honest, they play seriously. The guys they played on defense or uh, quarterback this year was like Cooper Rush, Heineke, Spud Webb, or whoever that Nathan, dude was. Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman, guys. Not disrespecting Christian, the Eagles. Christian McCaffrey in the AFC Championship game oh or my. NFC Championship game. Oh my goodness! Not disrespecting the Eagles and their season they <laughs> he had. Said Spud Webb. <laughs> Who was it? It was like Josh Webb or something like that. J- Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson, dude. <laughs> Might as well Spud be Webb. Spud I'm Webb. Just, I'm just thinking of like a, a four-two Spud Webb. <laughs> Shit, hike. Basically, like watching Kyler Murray, right? Uh, <laughs> That's true. No, but case in point is this Eagles team didn't have to play anybody good on offense. And when they played anybody who was halfway good on offense, I think I saw a stat. They allowed something like 34.2 points per game this year against those quarterbacks I listed. You know, I think hats off to the Eagles. It was a very good offensive team that was done in by what I think there are talented players on that defense. Not incredibly talented players, mind you, but talented players on that defense. 
True. But I think what did them in more so was I don't think they have a good defensive coordinator or strategy or tactics. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs outcoached them and subsequently got us the result we saw in the Super Bowl. Like I said, it never felt like Mahomes was doing anything other than kind of like going through the motions, which is why I was so shocked that his stats were as low as they were. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure when they prepped this game, Andy Reid kept it simple and he was like, look, they love to blitz and we love when team blitz when teams blitz. So let's have fun. Let's let's do what we do. He got the ball off really quick. And when you get off the ball quick, you're only getting, you know, a couple yards per play. And that's why, you know, he didn't have any long bombs or like, you know, had a had a not a subpar game, but he, he, he didn't have to throw 300, 400 yards. Right. He just got the ball off quick, got it to his guys and made plays like an incredible showing by Patrick Mahomes, but also sticking to the script. It's great. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about. And then, Reese, if you have anything to wrap up the podcast, you can. Um one stat that uh, analytics people love to bring up is DVOA, which is uh, defense adjusted value over average, which basically um, the the statisticians that make this stat go through every play and they compare it to an average NFL play and how successful or unsuccessful it is. And they go through like every single play of that of the Super Bowl. So this definitively what you were saying, this is actually to your point, Reese, because you were saying, I don't understand how the Eagles are so close to the to the Chiefs in this game. It seems like a blowout. It seems like Patrick Mahomes has their number. Well, this stat proves it. The Chiefs DVOA stat or percentage was 68.3%. The Eagles DVOA percentage, negative 32.2%. percent mm during the Super Bowl. I mean, those are, again, if if you don't understand that stat, anybody listening, it doesn't matter. Like, those are huge differences in numbers, right? One was very successful and one was an absolute failure. Yeah. And, you know, something else I got to point out too with the, with the Eagles defense, uh, I don't mean to downplay the accomplishments of these two players, but the fact that they couldn't beat Orlando Brown Jr. or Andrew Wiley, this... Yeah, hey, shout out to Wiley, dude. Jeez. Huge shout out. But like this potential all-time defensive line that had 75 sacks or whatever it was and three players with double digit sacks. I'm sorry, guys. You you did the thing where you were playing Madden on rookie mode, you know, and you were beating up on the computer in games that didn't matter and you were padding your stats, I think is what it comes down to. Do, do you know what's funny, Reese? It's like for me, uh, this is a fun way to end the podcast, I guess, but if Wiley's our starter again next season, I'm cool with it, actually. I think he had a great year. I mean, he didn't have a Pro Bowl year, but, like, he didn't lose us any games. He didn't lose us, like, zero. He played really well when it mattered the most. Shout out to freaking Andrew Wiley, who no one's going to talk about. But give that dude his flowers. Yeah, for an undrafted free agent out of Eastern Michigan who was a guard for most of his collegiate career and is our backup right guard, having him step in and play starting right tackle all season is no small task. And I think we have, we have to give credit to our offensive line coach as well as Patrick Mahomes for really Andy, Andy heck, like he deserves to be an OC somewhere for helping to foster a really healthy, supportive environment. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a locker room interview after the game where they're talking to Andrew Wiley and Mahomes comes up out of out of frame. And oh, says, yeah, it's cute. Yeah, dude. And his, his reaction is so genuine. And he forgets what the question is just because, you know, Mahomes has been so supportive. Could you imagine if Andrew Wiley was on any other franchise? Like if he's on the Browns or something like that, like with a toxic culture, dude, he would oh. be he would be gone. He wouldn't be yeah. there. 
but when least, yeah. But when you foster and like treat someone with that kind of respect and have that kind of healthy environment, it really brings out the best, which is I think the result of what we saw in Andrew Weiler this year. I, you know, I think this is a good way to end the podcast too, because that kind of seems like the Chiefs MO, right? Like I think I think Frank Clark, it it could have been very easy for Andy Reid to just forget about Frank Clark this year. He had an awful year, but I know Frank was saying that like, you know, uh, Andy Reid, this is one of the worst years that I've ever had, but Andy's like a father to me and Andy's just been cultivating me this, this whole time and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it didn't have a great Super Bowl game, but had a, you know, a defining AFC championship game. Um, same with, I, I can name so many other players, Kadarius Tony as well. Kadarius Tony was, was an afterthought on this giants team, right? It was a afterthought with his hamstring injury and we brought him in and was, man, so many stories like that on this Kansas city chiefs team. It's very family oriented. And like, I think they've gone through so much struggle. They've gone through so much comeback that nothing is too big anymore for this team, right? No battle is too big. Like Patrick Mahomes can come back uh, one, one stat actually, Patrick Mahomes has two double-digit Super Bowl comebacks, and that is twice as much as any other person in NFL history. That's twice as much already than any, like, not just, you know, current, but Joe Montana, uh, Steve Young, Tom Brady. He has twice as many as all those guys. Incredible, man. Like, not that we're unstoppable, but... But we, no challenge is too big. No challenge is too big. It's Super Bowl or bust. I love this team, man. Yeah, it's really impressive. Hey, just one final thing I want to talk on. I know we're pushing two hours in this podcast. Thanks for staying. That's Super Bowl win. Why not? Screw it. I think one unsung fact that we haven't talked about is that as effective as the Eagles rushing game was, as dominant as their offensive line was. Are are you going to say the uh, the, uh, Casey Wolf? No, not Casey Wolf. Have you seen the rushing yards box score for this game? No. Get this, my friend. So for as as many designed runs as the Eagles had, as many rugby scrums as they beat us up on, the final rushing yards tally was 158 Chiefs to 115 Eagles. We outrushed them by 50 yards. We had 158 yards on the ground? Right? And that just... When did that happen? Well, that just feeds into more of what I said, that this game was so (laughs) bizarre that it's like, Jalen Hurts had 300 yards passing. The Chiefs had 158 yards rushing. In what world? How many did uh, Pacheco have? 15 carries for 78 yards for a 5.1 yard average. Patrick Mahomes, 6 carries, 44 yards, 7.3 average. Jarek McKinnon, 4 carries, 34 yards, 8.5 yard average. Wow. I don't remember that. I, I, it didn't feel like we a rushing game was having our way with them. It just felt like when we needed a big bunch play, would get like a seven yard run or something like that. Yeah, it, like I said, I, I'm I was flabbergasted when I saw that stat. I wouldn't have said the Chiefs won the rushing battle. Looks like I wouldn't have said the Eagles won the passing battle. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like they rushed on, like the Eagles particularly rushed on every play. Yeah, I mean, they rushed at least like like it, it was either. That Jalen Hurts was going to dump it off to Boston Scott, Gainwell, or Miles Sanders, or he was going to run himself, or you know it was it was going to be a deep ball. It's a very like you said scripted offense. I'm very shocked by that. I didn't even look at that. It's it's really impressive. Shout out to that balance. Take that Buffalo Mike. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, you know I I think the way we ate the clock towards the end of the game and we're able to kick a what was essentially a walk off field goal to end the game. 
also put to rest Andy's clock management demons that have yeah, take him. that David. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, but how vintage Tom Brady, Bill Belichick did it feel that it's like there's five and a half minutes left in this game. They're going to go down the field, eat just about every last second of that, kick a walk off field goal. Like, and that's how the game ends. It was, yep. it was masterfully done. And a lot of that had to do with our running game, including Jarek McKinnon having the wherewithal to, oh, slide to slide down, which, dude, you know he wanted that rushing touchdown. He almost, honestly, even that slide, it was almost a touchdown. It, it was. That was, <laughs> was kind of scary. But, but you saw in the last Super Bowl against the 49ers, Damian Williams ran in that uh, rushing touchdown that put us up 10. But, like, realistically, the analytic thing said to go down and just, like, kneel three times. Right. So how different could this game have been? The rushing was incredible. The coaching was incredible. Hats off to everybody. Yeah, I mean, the the adjustments that Andy Reid made, the preparation that he had, and then, of course, like you said, which which I don't think people are going to talk about, is the Andy Reid clock management that worked to perfection. Like, perfection. It's not easy to go down the field with five minutes left in the fourth quarter to win the game. Like, that looks easy for, for the Kansas City Chiefs, but that is a very difficult task. And for someone that is not used to it, someone whose Achilles heel in Andy Reid is poor clock management for him to do that masterfully is going to be is going to be probably one of the most unsung heroes of the game and that is not going to be talked about so man shout out to this team shout out to Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes Travis Kelsey Isaiah Pacheco EB Spags to, uh, even even Dave too man even too shout out man the Kansas City Chiefs won this has been great I, I don't know this does this cap our FCSM season no I, I think uh let's say we'll do one more what one more once we once we have our airing of grievances that caps the season off okay so we're almost at uh, the, the end of season three man what season four dog seasons. oh crap season four yeah right <laughs> wow that's crazy man but this is the cap of the nfl season reese man i'm gonna miss this of course we're gonna do more but like it's just sad that the season's over but of course we end with a bang reese is gonna be at the parade so maybe we might even get some bonus takes from reese at the parade you'll have to see stay tuned ladies and gentlemen this is gonna end our super bowl extravaganza almost two hours on the mic man this was fun though Reese, I will see you soon. Kansas City Chiefs, have some have some barbecue, have some beer, and enjoy this time being a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Let's go Chiefs! We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes, and as always... I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 